0: Honestly, for me, when um, the Supreme Court um, ruling came down recently on affirmative action, I had a lot of people sending me n- notes like, "So, what do we think this means for business? How is this going to change?" Uh, and yes, we've seen budgets cut, we've seen people fired that were heads of, you know, DEI and, and many organizations. And to me, honestly, if if you were doing it to te- check a box, that could be why that is your response because i look at this as is culture work and what is it to be more human the humans haven't changed because there was a ruling welcome back everyone to the geeks geezers and googleization show the home of googleization nation where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us, and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran.
1: Well, welcome back, everyone, to a special episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. Um, Ira Wolf.
2: And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We're the voice of the most important conversations on the future of work confronting business leaders and people today. And our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow and explore the ever-changing convergence of business, technology, and people.
1: As Yogi Berra once said, this seems like deja vu all over again, Jason. Just three months ago, uh, we had one of our guests, Renee Smith. She talked about how she is using love as the catalyst to change organizational cultures. And I've got to admit, I was skeptical. And while I love, uh, pun intended, the possibility that workplaces might become more caring, more compassionate, more humane in the future of work, I just didn't see how corporate America would ever accept this, at least not in my lifetime, maybe yours. But then if, a few weeks later, Jacob Morgan joined us to talk about his new book, Leading with Vulnerability. And again, another dramatic reversal from the authoritarian, top-down leadership styles that we've known to accept, I guess. Uh, it drove most organizations to success in the 20th century. But then again, we're here today talking about the future of work, which brings us to why we are thrilled to welcome Reeboks. Jasmine Bellamy. Jasmine's recognized as one of the the Sports Illustrated's top 100 most most influential Black women in sports. And Jasmine will be sharing how love, yes, you heard that right, love, L-O-V-E, is transforming the workplace. So just think about that for a minute. We're not talking about the American Heart Association or Red Cross here. We're talking about about an athletic footwear and apparel company a for-profit company a publicly traded company so maybe there is some hope that we can put the h back in human resources and the timing couldn't be better for this because with thanksgiving just around the around the corner uh, we need a refreshing hopeful message and we're going to get that from jasmine but before we put her microphone on it's time again for perfect labor storm. This is where we focus each week on a disruptive, surprising or worrisome trend that we believe you should know. So according to a recent report by Accenture, American companies leave 1.05 trillion, that's trillion with the on the table annually by not having inclusive work cultures. This is driven by the high cost of turnover, low productivity and low employment employee engagement which you hear us talk about all the time the report highlighted some critical challenges for for organizations 68 percent of employers feel they have inclusive work environments where their staff can be themselves raise concerns and innovate without fear of failure but guess what just 36 percent of employees agree and then there's 76% of leaders say employees have good control over when, where, and how they work, but only 29% of employees agree. The proportion of employees who feel excluded in their organizations is 20%, one out of five, but only 2% of leaders believe that. So here's the thing, cutting this gap by half would boost global profits by, in the U.S. alone, by $3. dollars not to mention higher workplace ambition and empowerment. So since nothing else seems to be working, and in many ways, the old ways are making things worse, maybe a little love in the workplace will do the trick.
2: Well, I love that message, pun intended. And I was lucky enough to hear Jasmine speak at CultureCon in Madison, Wisconsin back in August. And I knew immediately that our listeners needed to hear and learn from her. So I'm ecstatic that we have her today. As you mentioned, uh, Jasmine's one of Sports Illustrated's top 100 most influential black women in sports. She's dedicated her life to bringing the practice of love to transform workplace culture from the inside out. She's the vice president of merchandising, planning, and allocation at Reebok. And she's also the founder of Love 101 Ministries, which is dedicated to the theology and practice of love. She's also the creator and co-facilitator of Courageous Conversations, which is a platform that engages issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion. She earned her BS in marketing and management from Syracuse University, a Master's of Business Administration from Fordham University, and a Master's of Arts in Theology from Fuller Seminary, where she's pursuing a doctorate in global leadership, focusing on the redemptive imagination of the marketplace. And she's here today to talk with us about living out the call to love in secular workplaces. Seems like a good time to welcome Jasmine to the show and get things started today. So let's give a warm welcome to today's guest from Reebok, Jasmine Bello.
0: Thank you so much. Good to be here.
2: Jasmine, Ira has heard me numerous times bring up your name and things that you were sharing with us at CultureCon back in August, three months ago. So we are totally stoked to have you on the show today. Before we get to some of the meteor items about the work that you're doing, Let's get to know you a little bit better first and help our listeners get to know you. Tell us about your journey of why you're so passionate about the work that you're doing now at Reebok, especially around love and DEI and belonging in the workplace. How did you get here?
0: Yeah, thank you so much um, for the invitation and for that question. Um, The interesting thing is I'm at a place where my life has converged. You know, I've shared a lot that um, recently that this role of at Reebok is the first time that I've come to work as my full self in 30 years of my career. Um, and it has been this really interesting um, opportunity where my 30-year re- retail career bought me into a particular door, um, but what was going on with me in terms of um, becoming a love practitioner and a joyful disruptor um, and a culture transformer, that all of that was happening at the same time and then converged at this moment um, when I was invited to um, lead change management under United Against Racism. Um, and, and that's what really gave birth to courageous conversations. And life really has just transformed from that moment. And so you know why I'm I'm so personally committed to it. I would say is that I have gone through my own personal journey and seen how love has been a transformative force in my own life. And as I was creating a practice of love myself, I understood that it was not just um, an opportunity to transform my own life, but it was to transform my context and communities and organizations. And it was it was all fundamentally all rooted in love. And so what, um, you know, so the, the audacious question that I I seek to work through uh, really is what does it look like for love to transform any context? Um, and the beauty is I had done it in my own life, then I bought it to Reebok and now I've watched Reebok transform. Um, and so that's what's really um, pushing my doctoral work forward now, um, because I do understand that there there is, there is something happening here when we focus on um, helping people be the most loving versions of themselves and then transforming their context because of it. And now we have a, an opportunity where there's a both and happening, where both people and businesses can flourish.
2: Jasmine, this is fascinating on so many levels, but one of them, I'm guessing for our listeners is, it's one thing to hear someone talk about love in the workplace, and maybe it's a smaller organization or it's a family-owned business. We're talking about Reebok. We're talking about corporate environment, and here you are coming in instilling change, creating this type of environment. Can you take us behind the scenes a little bit of, of what that looked like and how you got started? Because I know our listeners are wondering that. Of how that's possible in a corporate environment
1: it's not only reebok but we're talking about an organization that represents athletes highly competitive it's win lose not there there may be camaraderie there may be friendship not necessarily love associated with that uh and you know other than maybe with celebrities so yeah the the the, the fact that you're embedding this in a culture is is probably the extreme end of a cultural transformation in a traditional corporate company.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I would, I would like to give you a, a peek a bit behind the curtain. Um, I was invited to lead change management under United against racism, right at the murder of George Floyd. And I remember, um, saying to myself, um, why are you asking me to do this? And then I, as, I said, that, um, uh, what immediately, kind of came to me was like, you know, exactly why, <laughs> you know, you've been on this love practice journey. This is the invitation to actually bring it into your workplace. Um, and so as I was doing that work of change management, there were a couple of things that um, that were pillars. Um, and it was one, this idea of community, seeing all of us at Reebok, every single human in that building as a community community understanding um that in that also required commitment to change and also that we would do that change through conversation and so while those like love may not be the 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 word that comes to mind when those things are mentioned that is the under um that's what's undergirding it And so as I started to create courageous conversations and it really became um, how I describe it as a communal practice, it's a communal practice that um, ignites transformation in a community where it's about holding space for 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 people in community. Um, through difficult things and creating proximity where when people get closer together, they have an opportunity to understand each other. And in the sharing of narrative across people, people's hearts get touched and they get changed from the inside out. And so I, I, I like to describe the culture work of an organization. You know, we say brand is, um, you know, the, the DNA of an organization. I say that culture is the soul. And so this work in Courageous Conversations, um, that creates that transformation space to happen. And so while we weren't necessarily always using the word love, that is a loving practice Um, And so that ability to hold people in the difficulty, the ability to listen, to posture ourselves as learners, um, to to be open, to be vulnerable, um, really becoming emotionally um, stronger and more resilient. All of those things are what love is about. And so that's how we got there. Um, And in having those conversations where I got to really see everybody got to see each other. We were all together. We were all doing this together. um, And it just really started to transform us. Um, I often say the most important thing that I, I personally learned out of this journey. You know, I tell people we only endeavored to have six. We I just did Courageous Conversation 23 at Reebok last week so the community it th- themselves has said no we're going to keep going um but what I learned about that journey is that um I it's it's about intercultural formation we were we were learning how to be open to difference to to e- embrace other people to see the value in other humans and that's where the transformation happened and that is all love so that's it, it's, but it was the foundation of everything that we did. Um, and part of what I was doing was helping people practice it together um, at work. And the beauty is it didn't just transform work. It transformed how people showed up at home. It showed up how people, you know, whether they were as parents or spouses um, or um, in their community, it changed who they were fundamentally as humans. And then they went and changed their context wherever they went.
2: Jasmine, that's awesome. And so let's dig a little bit deeper into the Courageous Conversations, because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are like, that sounds incredible. What is it exactly? Can you give us a few more details, maybe like the logistics of it? Is it something that happens like once a quarter? Is it whole group? Is it small group? Can you share a little bit more of context around what does that Courageous Conversations program look like at Reebok?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So Jason, you got to get a little bit of a glimpse. I gave y'all like a 10 minute right. version of, of Courageous Conversations at CultureCon. It So in the beginning, when we did them, they were um, separated into six modules that were really walking alongside DEI training that was happening at the time. Um, I just knew that What typically happens in that type of training, it's an intellectual exercise. And I knew that ultimately this wasn't an intellectual experience. And so we needed to create um, this space. So initially it did start out in a virtual space. Um, So we were having them every couple of weeks because it was the six, six modules between October and through the end of January that next year from after we kind of got through that initial cycle we did um go to more of um you know I think then it was like every other month now we're more at a quarterly rhythm um but they've also transformed from the digital space into in person and and honestly because our our organization is all over the place i prefer them because I think it's a better um, inclusive experience for all of us when we do them virtual. Um, so the one we did last week was actually all virtual. Um, and they last 90 minutes. When we first started, they were um, sixty minutes, and we learned really quickly we needed more space and more time. Um, so they do happen um, in a 90 minute cycle. They, we de- we tend to have them open up with a place for people to check in emotionally. Um, so that they know where they are. Um, Last week when we opened up the conversation, we could acknowledge all the heaviness of life that is around us, um, that would be showing up in this space with us and be able to name it. Um, So whatever is going on in the world. um, So we always have an opportunity for people to check in. Um, I use uh, Slido as a tool often um, to create um, an interactive environment. So that, you know, it's funny, people do get a bit more courageous when they're in a virtual space, but being able to give a little bit of anonymity so people can really be vulnerable is also important. And so I have found um, that Slido, I just, I've used it in every courageous conversation I've done for the past couple of years, because I do think it allows people who may not be feeling so vulnerable or able to be vulnerable yet, that it gives them another way to still communicate. Um, And and also what ends up happening is we, when you see it on a screen, there's an accountability that also comes into play because now you are moving from the realm of the invisible to the visible and concrete when it's right in front of you. So yeah, so so that's kind of how it it works. Um, But generally We'll pick a topic um, based on whatever may be going on in in our organization that we feel a need to kind of sit with. Um, And sometimes as I did in the example in CultureCon, I'll use a video that could be, or some kind of cultural artifact that might be a a way to enter into the conversation that we're all seeing something together that we're processing together. Um, And then from there, we really just open up into conversation um, and the and the that's the beauty of co- courageous conversations is that people will just share how something landed, what their experience with with whatever the topic is for them, whether it could be unconscious bias, whether it could be microaggressions, whether it could be um, you know we've had special courageous conversations dedicated specifically um, to to um, we had the you know season of AAPI hate that we could sit and be in conversation and talk about it and have people's voices heard, um, where people can then feel, um, the strength of community around them to hold the difficult things. Um, and, and then it, it literally, it, like, I used to always joke, like the, 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 chat would go bananas, um, in teams and because people were just talking and responding and, you know, jumping on camera and telling their story. Somebody's over here responding and crying and touched. It, like all of these things happen at work. Um, and that might seem unbelievable, but it has definitely become a rhythm and a practice for us, um, which has been really, really, um, it's just been beautiful to watch. Um, and it doesn't mean that it's perfect, but what I get to do as a senior leader in an organization is I also get to hold us accountable to the org that we are aspiring to become. Um, and so what does it look like for me to lead with love with my team? What does it look like for me to hold the organization in, in love and also hold my colleagues accountable for not creating fear from wherever they're sitting to? um but courageous conversations is definitely um people have called it um their you know church or therapy um at work and it it definitely can feel that way um but it is definitely um i definitely have created psychological safety i'm i'm grateful that my 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 organization has entrusted me with that that's not something i take lightly um but yeah, it's it's to really create a safe space, which I know we say a lot, um, but it's a container, right? To hold some really challenging things. Um, and like I said, I've just watched it make us all better humans. And that's, that's at the end of the day, that's what we're talking about is what is it to become better humans?
1: Jasmine, I, I can't help but think just about what's going on right now in our, in, in our country, well, around the world, but especially in the country, mm-hmm. um, the waves of anti-Semitism. Um, so <laughs> we still have racism, but to, but we've moved to the anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't help think how every university, every college campus, every co- corporation is every community is saying we need to have these conversations. This is this is what we need. Mm-hmm. But I also, I guess, need to be in my skeptical self saying it's not the holy grail. I can imagine what just saying, hey, we're going to have this courageous conversation. People need to be respectful and honest and candid uh, and patient and caring. But it doesn't always work out that way. So mm-hmm. what? for all these organizations, what what's your what advice can you give them? How how could we have be having more courageous conversations across this country?
0: Yeah, I I love that question. Um there's a couple of things that I, I want to speak to with the skepticism. If there's anything that I had to learn in my personal life that then that i that I now can look back and understand that it prepared me to be able to do what I'm doing right now is that I couldn't be a fixer. I, I call myself a reformed uh, codependent. And that is it's important because anytime I hold space in a courageous conversation, my goal is not to change you. I have no ability to do that. The only person that can change you is you. And so, unfortunately, oftentimes we are, we're coming to any of this work with the idea that we want to change another human. That's a lesson in futility, newsflash, right? So, but what I do offer is an invitation and I don't feel unsuccessful (laughs) if you choose something else. That's freedom. Again, that is what love is. And so it is much more about listening and being attuned to what is going on in in your context and in seeking um, an opportunity to kind of experiment of what might move us on a journey but it is definitely not about me having some outcome that is predetermined that I expect you to become. And, 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 and so it's really important to start with that um, because it's, it, and, and it's not necessarily about me and what I think it ought to be, but it is about this interdependence of what it is that we can become together and that's really what happens in this communal practice. You know, we don't we don't go where Jasmine wants us to go. It's how the community kind of responds to all of this and how we move forward together. Um and that I think is 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 one of the the fundamental differences of of what we're talking about. But again, um, you know, we had um, a mantra uh, or slogan called um, "Be more human," and and that's really what the invitation is to. And, and and so that's kind of how I've navigated that. But I think the most important invitation to organizations, and it's the same call um, call to action that I offer in every space that I walk into, is. What is it to be love in your context? Whatever your specific context is, what would love do in that space? How would love move through it? And from a corporate setting perspective, we've got to be reminded that the marketplace was never created to be loving to humans. And so if we understand that humans were always objects and not subjects, that they were about productivity. Like, if we're clear that that's a system that we're working in, but we are centuries away from the fact, from that starting point to know that that is actually not good for humans. And what becomes good for humans ultimately becomes good for corporations. So, what might it be to be co- countercultural in your environment? To be able to say, how do I change the value system of the way that we are? So that we can find a place that is a more loving system that can produce flourishing people and then produce a flourishing company. Because if, you know, I, I think it's so critical that we not lose sight of what is happening contextually um, in terms of the 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 greatest rates of 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 loneliness that we are experiencing those people are coming to work those lonely people are at work and we can't forget about that and so the way we used to do work doesn't work anymore and so what does it look like to transform that system and so i'm my challenge or my invitation is can what what creative imagination can we bring when we're when we're real and about what is happening that you know that we're not acting like this stuff isn't really happening it actually is um you know th- there's data out that talks about that our work manager has more impact or equal to or more impact on our uh, our mental well-being than like our spouses like this is reality. And so if that is reality, how do we transform this system so that we get the best out of humans, so they're not burning out, that they're not uh, checking out, so that we can actually still um, maximize the output of our company, knowing that scarcity is not our problem anymore, right? All of these things have changed of what the, how the marketplace was built. And so to me, it's this invitation to lead with love, a completely different way um, to transform um, your context through your leadership.
2: So many brilliant insights and what you just shared there, Jasmine. I wanna just get into one really quickly and corroborate it with some additional evidence um, from someone who else was at CultureCon uh, with Gallup, Vibhas Radhanji. I'm not sure if you had a chance to meet Vibhas Mm -hmm. when you were there, you both were phenomenal speakers. He was on the show a few weeks ago, and he said at Gallup, the biggest challenge that they get from the marketplace on their Q12 survey is the survey item that has to do with, do you have a friend at work? Mm. He said they get pushback all the time from executives like there's no way that that question is really that vitally important to how we run our organizations. And Vibha said, it turns out that actually is the most predictive of all the survey items and that's why it's still on there and why it hasn't moved anywhere despite executives pushing back. So just to tie into your point there about the loneliness, turns out it really is important to feel like you have a friend at work to your health and well-being and then being able to create value not only for yourself but for others, internal and external stakeholders, that absolutely is vitally important. Um, I, I want to kind of segue into the next question because I know we're coming up against it here, but. We got to talk about kind of DEI budgets. Unfortunately, there's a growing trend across the United States of that being cut, <clears throat> whether it's because of recession concerns or or whatever "quote unquote" the justification is being given. We're seeing that start to happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: What is your response to that? How do we handle it? How do we move forward? And 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 why do you think it's happening?
0: Yeah, I mean. I- Honestly, for me, when um, the Supreme Court um, ruling came down recently on affirmative action, I had a lot of people sending me n- notes like, "So, what do we think this means for business? How is this going to change?" Uh, and yes, we've seen budgets cut, we've seen people fired that were heads of, you know, DEI and, and many organizations. And to me, honestly, if if you were doing it to te- check a box, that could be why that is your response. Because I look at this as, as culture work and what is it to be more human, the humans haven't changed because there was a ruling. <laughs> this is kind of how I look at it. Um, and so I still have a a, a real um, call to action in that sense in that if we are looking to maximize our our. our our business um, and we want our businesses to flourish, we still want our people to flourish. And so all of those things all go together. Um, so to me, there's no real disconnect, but I do think it speaks to whether people are really committed to that work or not, or if they're real, co- really more focused on people being objects and not subjects, right? So I think it just speaks to the value of in systems. Um, and again, for me, all of the work that I learned um, through Courageous Conversations transcended conversations about race and gender they because we use the same values when we were going through an acquisition like it's it was just a different us versus them and so again this is about creating tools for us to be more human wherever we are um and I don't I don't think that that's ever something that goes out of fashion um and so that's kind of I just think it's important for us to to, again, think a little bit more differently um, about what is it that we're endeavoring to do. Um, But the budget cut piece comes back to the fact that we are no longer operating under scarcity either in the marketplace. And so I I get it. Um, But it doesn't change that um, if we don't treat the people well. That we're not actually going to thrive, um, and so I, I hope it a- allows us to think a little bit more de- differently um, when we kind of come down to those those um, tactics.
1: Uh, unfortunately, uh, Jasmine, I know you're up against uh, you got a, uh, another appointment coming up, and we've we've got to end this. So this is, I mean, we're just scratching the surface here. There's so many questions. I hope that I'd love to unpack such a timely message uh, right before the holidays, before Thanksgiving and the holidays and the new year. So um, we, we can't uh, we, we can't wait for um, to, uh, all our listeners and the audience and to get your message out. But before we send you on your way, Jason has a few final questions to get to know you a little bit better.
2: Absolutely, so Jasmine, it's lightning round time. Here we go. So hopefully these will be softball questions, uh, but we just wanna to get to know you a little bit better. Um, and help our listeners do the same. So let's start with this one. Um, Favorite song or musical artist for you?
0: Can you feel it by the Jacksons? That is like my theme song And, and it's my family's theme song. So yeah, that would be one of them. It definitely gets me hyped up for sure.
2: I love it. And being that I'm from Indianapolis, we absolutely love that the Jackson family originated here in Indiana. So love hearing a Jackson's reference. That's the first time we've gotten that one. I'm surprised it's been this long, this many years before we got Michael, Janet, the whole Jackson five, anybody from the Jackson family. on. So I love it, Jasmine. (laughs) Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: All right. Next one. Um, How about a hidden talent or something that would surprise people about Jasmine Bellamy?
0: That one's so tricky. Um, I mean, it's funny because I would, being a love practitioner is definitely something that people think is a little weird and odd. Um, and also I am completely addicted to books and podcasts. Um, and so there are literally books piled up everywhere here. Um but I, I will, I'll switch the question a little bit to share a little bit about um, my upbringing that I usually pull out of uh, my back pocket as a surprise fun fact. Um, so if you're familiar with In Living Color um, from the 90s, um, I, I, I was a dancer growing up, and so I, I auditioned for the Fly Girls. So I would say that is one of the fun facts.
2: <laughs> that is awesome. I love it. And that by far is the best answer of any of we've ever had of any kind on the show. I absolutely love it. Love it so much. I almost thought there for a minute, Jasmine, that you were going into an MTV VJ reference and you were going to say that you were related with Bill Bellamy. For anyone in my age bracket that. that was watching. That. That. that one's even, even better. I absolutely love it. Love it. The Fly Girl <laughs> audition for In Living Color. That's so cool. All right, and, and we'll let you go on this one. So last one here. Yeah. If there's one person in the history of the world that you could meet, who would it be?
0: There's so many people that were coming to mind. Um, but today, today I'm going to say um, the cultural critic, um, Bell Hooks, um, who passed away um, just about two years ago. Um, and I... She passed away just kind of at the point of me realizing that I'm one of her students. And that I'm carrying her torch. And I would love to sit and talk with her. That would be a gift.
2: I love that. And the legacy that you're continuing is a gift. And we want to get more and more people connected to it. And so as we wrap up here, we, we want to help our listeners understand how they can reach out to you. And learn more about the work that you're doing. So, what are the best ways that they can do that, Jasmine? Where can they learn more about you personally yeah. and professionally, yeah. but also the work that you're doing at Reebok?
0: Yeah, um, I, I think LinkedIn um, is all absolutely a, a great way to find out um, what's going on um, with me, and then also. Um, on Instagram um, at Love 101 Ministries um, is also a, another way as well. Um, and if you're into podcasts um, and you are looking more for um, interest in the theology and the practice of love, um, the Call to Love Experience podcast as well.
2: Perfect. Jasmine, thank you so much for being with us. Um, it means so much. Continue living and preaching this important message um well into 2024 and beyond. And thank you for spending some time out of your day with us today.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it. It was such a gift to be with you today.
1: Thanks very much, Jasmine. Very much appreciate it.
2: Well wow, Ira, that was an incredible episode. A lot of stuff to digest today. A lot of things that are countercultural. Um, but things that are foundational to building the type of culture that a lot of folks and leaders aren't comfortable talking about around love. What were some of the big takeaways for you today?
1: Well, I think there's one, and it's really where we started. i'm I just can't believe, and again, maybe it's because I'm this older baby boomer and been around for a while and and remember the uh, Jack Welsh's uh, leadership style, uh, you know, certainly growing up. and uh, Al Dunlap. Um, you know he, his nickname was Chainsaw Al, and there were books written oh, about him. Yeah, uh, yeah, early '80s. So you grew up in this really top-down, paternalistic, uh, strong leadership style, and here we are talking about love in an era where, you know, so people are so cautious about sexual harassment and everything. So I, I think just that she's actually succeeding in corporate America, in a publicly traded company. Uh, is just blows my mind. And this is the second person we we shared this with. And I just had a conversation with another consultant the other day. And she's talking about that's what her message is. And they're getting, I mean, they're getting hired by companies, by leaders. Uh, So I, I, you know, at Thanksgiving, and I'm grateful and hopeful that that's actually a good sign um, because we certainly need it.
2: We absolutely do. And one of the powerful things she said about love today stuck with me is love isn't about changing people, right? It's about accepting people who they are and shared understanding. And I thought that was a really powerful message. I think a lot of times we get caught up in these conversations and think, you know, we're going to get these people to change. And as all of us know that have been in organizational development and psychology, anything, most of the time people don't change, but can you get them to think a little bit differently? Can you get them to understand another person's perspective a little bit better? I think you can. Um, and that's mm-hmm. what she was talking about today that seems to be really powerful. And it wasn't just theory, as you mentioned, this application, this is a large company that's publicly traded, that's for profit, that's right in the middle of it and showing that it can be done, which was really cool. Well, Googleization H we want to thank you for tuning in today. Um, subscribe on all of our channels if you haven't done so, YouTube, Apple, Spotify. Um, and thank you for being with us and tuning in every week. But until then, I'm Jason Cochran signing off.
1: And I'm Robert Wolf. Thanks again very much for being part of Googleization Nation. Thank you for helping us be in the top one or number one in leadership on GoodPods, on the top 100 in Apple for management. Uh, It couldn't be possible without you, all you listeners, and Googleization Nation. So until next week, don't let the shift hit your plans. Thanks for watching Geeks, Geezers, and
0: Googleization. Be sure to listen to the podcast and follow us on YouTube. This show was produced and edited by Hilton Productions.